the sales organization looked at this as as an opportunity. Some of the some of the most technically expert sales guys said, I don't need this configurator thing. I, I can do this in my head. But the leadership realized that there's very few of those people and there's a lot of other people who struggle. And anybody we onboard who's new is going to have an incredibly hard time getting up the learning curve. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. E-commerce consultants have been the most enthusiastic about the importance of product configurators. How this is a need for every custom manufacturer, but product configurator comes in many shapes and sizes. The product configurator could be a simple form on a WordPress site that sends out an email to the backend team or a 3D configurator, the live product experience, just like the way you would experience in the virtual reality world. But while talking about configurator experience is easy, executing on it is very hard, as that requires a complete alignment of product pricing and warm data across systems. So what are the best practices for implementing product configurators. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss product configurator best practices. We discussed why product configurators matter and which businesses would be the right fit to enable configurator experience. Finally, we discussed the challenges in selecting and implementing configurators, including the balance between the IT and business users setting clear boundaries across systems and the perceived benefits of a configurator. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom for today. We are going to be talking about very passionate topics. Every single e-commerce practitioner out there has spoken about, uh, you know, how wonderful uh, product configurator is going to be. So we are going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, on that note, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am your host uh, and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Cristiano for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hi, I'm Chris Giardini. I'm the owner and CEO of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 28-year-old Microsoft Dynamics ERP implementation practice. So glad to be here talking about config. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. And we are going to have a little Chris problem today. So now I need to move to Chris Harrington for an intro. Hey, the second Chris. Thanks, Sam. It's Chris Harrington. I am the president of Gen Alpha Technologies. We are a digital commerce solution company for equipment and aftermarket organizations. So we really help uh, 
manufacturers who want to create product configurators online, typically for dealers. That's where they're starting for dealers and sales teams. So, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are going to have a lot of fun discussing this from the ERP as well as e-commerce perspective. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Tom, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yes. Hi. Thanks, Sam. My name is Tom Rodden. I am a longtime IT specialist, uh, was CIO for five years at Varian Medical Systems, uh, and I'm currently serving as an ERP consultant. So very happy to be here. And, and as you mentioned, Sam, it's going to be an e-commerce and an ERP uh, uh, discussion, I'm sure, and I'll probably be more on the ERP-focused side. And my hope, Tom, was that, you know, you'll be able to act as the CIO and we'll be able to balance both argument because obviously we need that. It gets really passionate when last time I had e-commerce and ERP in the same room, it becomes very passionate argument. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. I'll try. Amazing. Jay, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Jay Schneider. I'm the founder of B2B Squared. Um, we work with uh, B2B companies, distributors, manufacturers. Uh, helping them uh, with uh, with digital commerce, uh, primarily e-commerce, uh, digital product transformation, content, etc. Uh, really thrilled to be here, and uh, this is actually one of my favorite topics. All right, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Jay. Uh, Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks for inviting me, Sam. My name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved with ERP software for manufacturers for uh, over 40 years. I've worked all over North America. And uh, I remember when uh, configurators first came out, actually, I used to have hair in those. And uh, there's been a strong evolution regarding configurators since, and there's tons available and there's tons of options. So I'm looking forward to the call. Yeah, and the options that I have seen, Andy, some are with hairs and some are not with hairs. So we are going to be discussing all of those options today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, all right, uh, so I am going to start with the first question before that. If you are in the audience and listening to this show, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. Uh, we typically try to cover them during the show. If you run out of time, we'll make sure that our panelists are going to send you your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Cristiano. And uh, that is going to be just setting up the stage. Uh, I don't know, uh, Chris, uh, you know, from the product configurator perspective, when I think of product configurator, it could mean a lot of different things. Okay, sometimes people call product configurator when they are going to have a simple form on their side, which is just WordPress, and they call. And sometimes it's going to be a very 3D centric model where you have a lot of different data exchange happening. Uh, and again, it could be all over the place overall from the system architecture. So, do you want to set the stage, uh, you know, for the product configurator? Sure. So, you know, the first thing is, what is a configurator? And, you know, why do we have configurators? And, you know, as you think about manufacturing environments, typically the configurators in place. And, you know, some of the reasons in, historically is to cut down permutations of bill of materials. If you think about, well, how many different combinations of this part and this size and this color can I make versus I've got a standard and then I pick a color and I pick an option and I build up from a base and end up with a configured bill of material. And, and so there's, there's the premise is, okay, we want to eliminate all the permutations. I don't need a million combinations. Let's start with bases and look at options. You know, this option, you can get a different option. This option, that one's excluded. This one's included. And the other thing that a configurator does is we separate sales from engineering. We try to get a little distance in there because in the old days, the sales guy, ah, grab an engineer. He's immediately increasing his selling costs. And so what, what configurators have allowed organizations to do is really articulate, again, how do we build some of that engineering into a configurator so that I could take some of the, maybe they don't know a whole lot about the product, but they could do a quote or moreover, a customer will quote without getting in trouble. Because 
In configurators, we can build, we can go simple, we can go complex. And there are more advanced and there are more basic. And so even as you look at, well, what one do I need? Well, it depends on your industry and the complexity of the products that you're building. But to that point, you know, there's examples where it could be graphical. Oh, I picked by color. Oh, I want this one and this one and this one. It makes it very simple for somebody to go through a process and create a configured bill of material that eventually be produced once you win the deal. But those configurators and the examples I've seen in, in that selling process, and let's think about inside sales or outside sales where reps using it versus the web experience first. But, but again, through an experience to pick, to configure, graphical, I click red, the tractor trailer paints red. I've seen them for tractor trailers, for aircraft, for a lot of big stuff. But it's a visual experience for the customer as well as they can kind of see things changing as we do things. Oh, I like that. I don't like that. Imagine a house. You're building a house. The houses these days and picking options they're configurators. What colors? What cabinets? What? It's a big configurator that home builders use as well today, whether they've evolved to that. But to that point, again, we're separating engineering. And there are still going to be cases where, hey, this one has to go to engineering to validate. But again, in the front end, a configurator lets the sales rep or the customer or the dealer, depending on who that is, to interact with a tool that's got pre-developed rules and formulas and it can actually extrapolate material and labor and add routings and it can really go to the nth degree of complexity and then again even generating proposals i've got configurators out there that generate glorious sales proposals so they can do a lot of work for you so they're great selling tools they can live in the cloud they can live in an e-commerce experience they can live in a crm experience they can live in an erp experience a lot of times they start in a crm experience and when i win and it injects the configured bill of material into the back office system with the routing well, I still need the configurator on the ERP side in case I got to pick this thing up and make some changes to it. So again, just as I set the stage, the tool allows us to build lots of rules and formulas in there, get a break on engineering, cut down the volume of permutation system. And again, it creates some efficiency just in managing that customer experience because customers like to accessorize and shop. And again, we're seeing these things all over the place. I mentioned homes. I mentioned we had a, a group that was customizing aircraft, complex. Man, oh, I need the master bathroom in my jet. Okay, whatever. What color? And again, just like building a house. But uh, I think that's a good starter. So amazing start there. And by the way, I love the bit about reducing the permutation and combination there. I think that's the right intent of when we are thinking about the configurator. I don't know how many people can really relate with that, that you are really reducing the number of, uh, you know, bombs. And maybe, uh, you know, you want to touch a little bit on why that is really important more from the operational efficiency perspective, as well as from the maintenance perspective. Uh, but then the other layer that you had mentioned, Chris, was related to engineering. When people are thinking, especially when e-commerce folks are going to be thinking about BOM, they are going to be looking at the production BOM because for them, it's always the order. So I don't know how many people really think about the engineering BOM as part of the configurator experience, but that could be slightly more involved because that's going to be a very different configurator experience than what you are going to do with your production as well as when you are going to be interacting with your CRM as well as e-commerce that you mentioned. Uh, any uh, follow-up? Yeah, and, and again, we go from the simple examples where there's limited choices and then we go to the more complex ones. And I've got groups that manufacture doors and they're all the different sizes. And imagine driving through the configurator with doors where you don't want to have 100,000 sizes, right jam, left jam, hinge types. But again, in the end of the day, it, it controls that experience. It controls the choices. It, it, the rules drive you to decision-making um, efficiently. And you're right. The customer experience, they're not really worried about engineering. Is the owner of the company, I'm managing selling costs. I'm trying to get a lower cost point on the sale transaction. And in the e-commerce experience, we're trying to give the customer lots of choices. 
But again, they conform to my rules and my capabilities in the backend system. And like I said, there's always that one configuration that, oh, takes a fork in the road and has to go through engineering because in the example of the aircraft, this guy could go through a configurator and he could add a jacuzzi tub into a jet. That's got to go to engineering to make sure they don't screw up the mechanics of the airframe by putting a tub in a jet. You're laughing. This guy actually put a tub in his jet anyway, but uh, good example there. Amazing example there. Thank you so much, uh, Cristiano, for that. So, Christina, I'm actually going to come to you uh, yeah. next uh, for anything that you may want to add overall from the context perspective. And obviously, as sort of the e-commerce practitioner, you are going to be thinking, okay, what the hell are these ERP guys talking about? You know, in my mind, configurator is very different, right? So anything you might have uh, to add overall from the context perspective uh, and on the commentary that Chris has already. Sure. Uh, I mean, Chris did a great job. So what I would add is that, you know, for those of us that are on the e-commerce side, we are typically trying to create an experience for the customer, the dealer, or the salesperson. More often, we're thinking about the customer experience. We want to make it engaging for them and easy for them to see themselves either using the product or uh, solving the problem that they need to solve because you're asking a set of questions or let's call them inputs that are narrowing the results to get to the opportunity to satisfy that customer with what they need. So you know, when, you know, the ERP folks, and it's important that whatever the customer sees or the dealer sees, it can easily feed back into the system so that we can pass it off to production without a heavy uh, lifting of engineering, uh, a pause in engineering before it even goes to production because uh, the sales team or the e-commerce team built something into the configurator that hasn't been configured uh, in the ERP in the past. So it is really important, in my view, to tie these systems together, and that's a, an important criteria. But really, from a high-level perspective, we're just trying to create a better experience. That's what customers are expecting today. So uh, no longer do customers just think about quality for so long as you know manufacturers or businesses. We wanted to ensure that our quality was really good, and we thought if our quality was good, that that was going to be the thing that differentiated us. Well, today, there is an expectation that everybody's quality is good. So now, how easy are you to do business with? How quickly can I get my quotes? Speed, accuracy, um, making sure that you maintain the price uh, and profitability that you want for these products is really a part of building that entire uh, con configuration or product configurator that you're going to use on the front end for customers and dealers. Okay, amazing insights there and love the bit about the customer experience. It's always, uh, you know, about that. But then customer experience is going to be dependent upon, you know, how the customer is sort of going through the journey. So in your case, you have mentioned many different personas. Uh, you know, you mentioned your dealers, then the sales reps, then you have engineering, then you have quality, right? Yeah. So engineers, the way they like to think and work, they are going to be more comfortable on the CAD system. Uh, you know, I don't know if they are going to be comfortable on the e-commerce system or any other system. So typically in your experience, do engineers go to e-commerce when they are looking at the bomb or do they typically go to the, the CAD system or any other system that they might be? Well, uh, engineers, yeah, they're they are expecting a technical uh, display of the information. So we, you know, we've been highly technical that are used by engineers. But I think the important thing is, 
for all of us that might be working with businesses is to understand where they are and get the first level of improvement. You know, we have manufacturers today who are still managing quotations by spreadsheet. Well, we have to get them off of spreadsheets. So maybe the first configurator is going to be used by the sales team. And then maybe the second iteration is going to be used by your dealer. Then maybe the third, now you've learned so much that now you're asking a few simple questions to a customer. They're providing those inputs and that's narrowing what you're going to offer them. And uh, and then it becomes that much simpler. So I just think it's a very iterative process and you have to see where the business is that you're working with. If if engineers are quoting your your products today, that's a step you know, that's a very expensive quote. I think Cristiano said that earlier. So we need to offload some of that, make it easier. And we've got to take some steps before we can actually put this in front of a customer, probably. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Christina, for that. So Tom, I am coming to you. And, uh, you know, overall, when I personally work with all of these departments, uh, it becomes very exhausting, to be honest, when you have to sort of, you know, integrate, manage the integration across the departments when everybody's sort of trying to use their own favorite tool. And when you are designing these workflows, okay, who owns data, who does not own data? And, you know, there is always going to be conflict, okay, where your RMA is going to be, where your bomb is going to be. So I personally feel very uncomfortable when I have all of these conversations, especially when they are going to be dispassionate, right? So in your experience, I don't know, you know, what your experience has been overall in terms of the product configurator. Do you, know, do you want to set the context as well as provide any sort of commentary that these guys may have? Yeah, thank you, Sam. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I echo what Chris and Chris, Chris squared, we'll get to J squared shortly, but um, I echo what uh, what I just heard. Um, that is consistent with with my experience on the whole. Um, I, I would add that, um, you know, Chris talked a lot about lightening the load on engineers, give the sales guys, even give the customer directly uh, some ability to navigate through a system that effectively is structuring the bomb uh, without the engineers being involved. Um, now, I, I agree with that conceptually. Uh, obviously, and I think Chris was hinting at that, Chris too, Chris Harrington was hinting at this, that, you know, the process of moving away from uh, an internally used configurator, maybe by sales or maybe eventually by dealers and getting eventually to a customer will inevitably, or I think it should lead to an evolution in simplicity of that, where you're going from complex technical choices in the configuration of the product to ultimately, when it's really customer-facing, simple, basic questions, not those complex technical ones. And all the complexity is hidden from the end user or customer where possible. And in my experience, in fact, that was one of the objectives, even internally, um, where we had at, at, at Varian Medical Systems, where we were building uh, multi-million dollar uh, cancer treatment equipment, radiation therapy equipment. Um, the machines were incredibly complex. They were all custom. So every hospital could order exactly what it wanted in terms of the scale of a machine, in terms of the beam strength of the radiation laser, et cetera, et cetera. And the, one of the key, key things was um, you had to very carefully go through that process because you would reach conflicts. I think uh, both Chris has talked about the narrowing of choices. I think of it as, as kind of conflicts or or 
uh, in, the, in the word Chris, Chris used was permutations. Not all permutations or all variations are legitimate options, right? You're going to find that in some cases, A plus B plus, well, no, you can't have C in that case, right? You can have A and B, but you're going to have to have either D or E that that's what works together is compatible together. So um, I, I have seen this where we've said, okay, we need to take the expert engineer now. The configurator will replicate the best engineer and will enable us not only to reduce the load on engineers generally in the company, but it will in fact ensure that anybody using the configurator is leveraging the greatest knowledge, the greatest insight that we have in the company from an engineering perspective. So that's kind of one thing that I think it's, it's, it's reducing errors, it's reducing configurations where I think uh, Chris Harrington was talking about, like, you, you don't want that, that configuration to be something that downstream people say either is really expensive and complex or it's impossible to build. Um, so you're really trying to uh, not, not just um, enable the customer to take that journey, but to, it to be a journey that leads to a true producible product. Um, so I think that's one piece of it. And then the other thing that I found interesting within our Varian experience with configurators was that the uh, the sales organization looked at this as as an opportunity. Some of the some of the most technically expert sales guys said, "I don't need this configurator thing. I I can do this in my head." Um, but uh, the leadership realized that there's very few of those people, and there's a lot of other people who struggle. And anybody we onboard who's new is going to have an incredibly hard time getting up the learning curve if they've got to learn everything that it took these best guys years and years to acquire and master. So we want this configurator, frankly, to accelerate the, the learning curve and the effectivity of our new salespeople. Um, so there were, there were multiple reasons um, for this. Um, and from an organizational point of view, Sam, it, it also was quite challenging. And Andy can probably talk this better than me, but when we were making our choices about configurators at Varian, there were some interesting uh, distinctions that we learned. Um, one configurator, very powerful, very flexible, but it required the, the back end people, the people creating the rules Chris talked about, um, creating the product and defining what was compatible and exactly what would be the first step in the journey and the sequence of questions to drive you to a, a product, a configured product, in the end, that um, it was almost like writing code. You almost had to be a programmer to really define these configurations. And product management, they wanted control of the configurator. They said, this is our job to define these things. How can, how can we not be the guys who actually put it into the system. It's like saying, you know, I can't create a product. Um, I've got to go to IT to create the product. That's not how ERPs typically work, right? You get some training and then the business owns data. They own yeah. product. And here, you know, we were learning that, oh, some of the configurators are so technical that the business is either going to have to hire programmers or, or go through an incredibly challenging learning, or they're going to have to basically let IT do that. And there were other configurators, maybe less flexible, that were more drag and drop, that allowed people in the business to say, I can do this. Um, and so we had to make a choice. Our product was so complex, 
we ended up saying we need the, the, the most complex, most flexible configurator available at that time. And therefore, now we have a challenge organizationally where IT is going to have to do a lot of the product configuration in the back end. And the business was only going to be able to maybe create uh, a new item, a new option in a pull down feature, which is a, you know, one small part of a part of a total configurator. Um, and so they, you know, the business would have input and obviously we would team together, but this was an example of how, you know, oh, it's terribly frustrating and disappointing for the business team. They felt like they were losing control of product management um, because of the introduction of a product configurator. And I'm sure things have gotten, you know, more sophisticated and slicker and better since then. This was, you know, eight, nine years ago, probably. But um, that was that was a big organizational challenge for us, just as one example. Yeah, so very interesting insights there. So obviously, that is going to be very frustrating when business cannot really control the data and the product that they are trying to control. But what is going to be more frustrating is when there are going to be inconsistency across the system. So I don't know, Tom, if you are going to have any sort of follow up in terms of the product release process. I don't know how the handshake worked in the organization. So when you are creating the underlying bomb, who's creating that? And then you have these rules. And by the way, if you are coding only in one system, that is still easier when the code needs to be promoted to five different systems because each of those systems are going to be different. So I don't know how you create the architecture. For me, it's just overwhelming. Maybe uh, do you have any follow-ups there? Yeah, yeah, I'll try to be brief. Um, but yes, this was also one of the fundamental challenges. We initially, you know, we were doing a big Salesforce implementation and we were hoping to use the Salesforce configurator. And we pretty quickly determined that it just wasn't at the time adequate. And so we then looked at other pure play configurators and found a couple that we said these could do the job and we had to make our, our choice then. But having decided to have a multi-system architecture from configure, quote, and then transition over to ERP, a quote that would be converted into a sales order, you know, in, in, a, in the simplest scenario, that, that would be relatively manageable. But when you got into, well, what happens when, um, what happens when the customer makes or asks to make a change? And we went through already a process of configure. If this was an unusual configuration, maybe we were doing some special changes to enable a a higher discount um, than standard. It would go through workflows in the configurator, which is a feature we haven't talked about yet, but um, is critically important in many scenarios um, and industries. So, but it would get approved in the configurator, um, and then that would allow release to ERP. And then there's a question that comes to the sales guy, and he says, I need to make a change, and it's already been released to ERP. So now, what are you going to do? Are you going to cancel the item in ERP, go back and create a new configuration, go through the approval process again, release it again? That might be clean, but it's also a whole bunch of extra work. Uh, and there were always issues about, well, now, you know, some things have changed since you created the original one. And so some of the pricing or other elements of the original order that was created three months, four months, five months ago, maybe, have changed. And now the customer is going to get something different than what he actually wanted, and what the sales guy wanted. So... Uh, okay, maybe that's not the best way. Maybe we should go back and just make a change to the configurator that we originally created. Uh, and it's a change to the quote 
and we go through the approval process again. But now we have this complex feed into ERP where we want the original order to stay, but we want this new quote to drive just a change to that. Again, you can imagine suddenly the complexities are mushrooming as you try to try and make this as easy as possible for the sales guy. Uh, but the flow and, and the process is not not simple when it's trying when you're trying to drive this downstream into ERP. Um, so yeah, we had we had a lot of challenges in the integration of these tools. Um, again, sometimes uh, parts would change um, that were you know significant changes just because effectivity dates, new 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 designs, you know, and and sometimes. We'd have customers saying, well, I don't, you know, I heard there's a change. I don't want the old version. I want the new version. And yet it's already been released to ERP. Procurement has already begun. You know, at what point is it too late? Again, there's different business models. You know, we had a very long cycle of getting the customer to sign up for, you know, a multi-million dollar purchase and then procuring product. You know, it could be a, a two plus year cycle from Initial conversations, quote, order, procurement, manufacture, and test at the end. The product had to be tested before it could be delivered to the hospital and then final delivery. So that's, you know, there might be changes that are requested all along the way. And, and now you really have to have at some point say, no, you know, we can't accept any more changes. But, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you don't want to do that. You want to make the customer happy and you want to give the best you can, in our case, care to the patient. Um, so. So you're struggling to, to, to manage those changes. That, that was one of the biggest issues for us with configurators, um, the CPQ system, and ERP and integration. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. So Jay, I'm actually coming to you. Uh, you know, any sort of context that you may want to add based on what everybody has provided, I'm pretty sure you are going to have insights more from the customer experience perspective. So yeah, go for yeah. it, Jay. Yeah, actually, um, that, that's exactly where I, I kind of go with this. So. Uh, when I when I think about B2B, and that's really the, the space that I deal with primarily, you know, configuration really is critical. I mean, this is what I what I call B2B merchandising, right? This is this is making things easier for the customer to purchase. What's interesting about the discussion that we've already had here is that it largely centers on internal process, right? It largely it, it largely approaches it from the standpoint of well, how are we going to manage this internally? How are we going to quote it? How are we going to engineer it? How are we going to produce it? How are we going to ship it, right? So those are all internal processes. The chasm really is how do we get that into relevant product data that the customer can then use and do it themselves? And, and I have to say, uh, and again, you know, the CPQ systems are getting better, um, but I, I have to say from my perspective, in the e-commerce B2B world, we're not anywhere near where we need to be yet um, with most of this. I think most people are still struggling to take engineering data and make it customer data and to write the rules that are make it easy enough for a customer to be able to do it themselves. So um, I, you know that that I think is one of the uh, one of the struggles that we have just as a as an overall business right now because I think this is this is what is going to change this skew based e-commerce world that we live in today into what we really know b2b2b B2, which is a configured engineered kitted you know uh world so 
very interesting insights there. And uh, one of the follow-up questions that I'm going to have for you, Jay, is going to be overall from the B2B perspective. And typically, the B2B space that you deal with, you are going to have way too many personas and way too many touches that you are going to get from the buying journey perspective. You, Especially if you talk about things like buying groups, obviously, you are going to have many different layers there in terms of how the buying journey works. Even if you are exposing this as the some sort of portal, then in portal, you are going to have right. multiple workflows of how many people are going to come to your yeah. uh, store and they are going to be buying. And then we are looking at this configurator experience. So I don't know if I have, let's say, 250 different stores that I'm publishing to 250 different buyers. So am I going to be publishing all of this configurator to all of those stores? So how do you see this working in, in the B2B space? It's a real challenge. And what's, what's interesting is I've seen a number of projects that were that set out to to uh, actually answer that problem that have just gotten canned uh, over the years. Um, you know, some of the electrical space, some of the other spaces um, that, um, that that just ran into too many headwinds uh, when it came to trying to create a tool that everybody can use. And, and I think that's really, that's, that's my point. I, and I don't know what the solution is for it. I'm just looking at it from the buyer's perspective. You know, the day we can make the product data and the rules easy enough for the customer to be able to start, in, you know, building things. And, and we know B2B to be a collaborative process, right? We know that that many distributors are, you know, adding value to the process. And, and it, it tends to be a collaborative process with the customer. Um, but um, we have a ways to go, I think, in, in where the tools need to be to get to that point, because um, that, that really, I think, is where we need to get. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Jay, for that. So, Andy, I'm actually coming to you, and uh, your perspective, as far as my understanding goes, is going to be more of the connected experience, connected systems, overall, from the configurator perspective. So, you know, if you have anything to add, overall, from the context perspective. Well, first off, I wanted to say something to uh, Mr. Chris. Never talk about bombs when you're talking about aircraft, okay? That's a Andy. joke. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, I've been in the business a long time and I've seen configurators from their infancy to today and they've advanced a tremendous amount over the years. Originally a configurator, they used to be called back in the 1960s and 70s, they used to be called bill of material generators. And they used to be strictly a bill of material. And of course, like everybody else is saying, whenever you have a product that has multiple options, alternatives or or selections, the configurator allowed them to minimize how many bills and materials they had to set up originally, right? Because you talk about windows, Chris, you're talking about millions. I was talking to one window manufacturer yesterday. They said their combinations were in the trillions. I, I don't know if I believe that, but the number is very, very large. So instead of having to have preset bills and materials for every possible combination before you get that order, the configurator allows you to have models with options, with rules, like you said, color, uh, you know, all, all different types of things, but but going even farther, parametrics. So not only you don't need to bring the engineer in during the sales cycle as much, but sometimes you can actually put that engineer's brains into the software and the formulas are already built in. So if you're building something that, like Tom was saying, that if it has A, B, it doesn't make C, well, the engineering formula is already in there and it already knows. It already, it already polices to make sure that when the order is taken, it is a viable bill of material to make in the work order. Now, back in the early days, they were strictly a bill of material 
type generator functionality today, and a lot of systems still have those simple ones built into them. But today, some of these configurators, they're uh, bi-directionally linked to 3D modeling. So that when you're selecting the options, it's collecting, it's, it's creating the, the uh, 3D model exactly the same time. So guess what? The engineer doesn't have to do it. Um, I think that it was, I'm not sure who said about the proposals, but yeah, I think that was Chris as well. Some of these systems uh, can create very compelling proposals with one click after the proposal, after the, the configuration has been built. And of course, because you've set up all the logic, all the difficult stuff in the background, and all the customer, dealer, or the uh, entry-level order entry person in your company uh, are just answering a series of questions, you don't need to have any kind of years of experience or knowledge or anything like that. The system's already set up so that it is idiot. Okay, amazing insights there, Andy. So from your experience, obviously, you uh, work with a lot of different customers that are implementing the configurator because that's going to be part of their business model, especially if we talk about, let's say, businesses such as your windows and doors, uh, you know, furniture manufacturing, they typically use configurator because their competitors are going to be using, so they don't have a choice. Uh, They have to offer that. So in your experience, let's say if somebody is trying to, and again, you know, when people think of configurator, that's great from config, uh, from the customer experience perspective, but how much work is going to be involved? Let's say if somebody is trying to implement this in the e-commerce, the ERP, and CAD, uh, how much work is going to be involved, Andy? Well, the answer is that depends. Depends on which one you buy. Because as uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who, I think it was Tom that mentioned that some of this logic in the background is near programming. Well, some of them are programming. Some of them are using C plus or something like that. And, you know, you don't see that when you're sitting through a sales demo. We always talk about sales demos on our other Tuesday sessions. When you're sitting through a sales demo, they rarely take you back into logic and, sh- and show you how it really takes to set up that, that configuration or that those simple rules. Uh, because a lot of companies will buy these tools, find out after the fact, now we got to hire a programmer. Whereas there are some systems that are, I think someone mentioned drag and drop, a lot easier to set up that logic, a lot easier to define those parameters. And I think usually most companies, that's what they're hoping for, is something that's not too onerous to set up. But most of them are, regardless, all configurators are are a bear. They're a lot of work. Amazing much, Andy, for that. Uh, So, Chris, I am actually going to, Cristiano, I'm going to come back to you. And you know what I want? I am looking for any sort of stories. Or better yet, horror stories of the configurator. Sure. Can I just a couple comments first, though? I think yep, the type of manufacturing you do, because we didn't talk about configure to order versus engineer to order. And I think yeah. the the configurators, when we're doing just a configure to order, most of the bill of materials are defined in the ERPs, and the reference into the configurator are finished goods that have rules on which ones you can add as options. And those are pre predefined sub assemblies. And again, we're putting things together. And it's a little simpler than, as, as even Andy said, the parametric where now we've got engineering formulas where it doesn't just grab a static bomb and add it as an option. It's actually composing the material requirement because they, they changed the length. I've got more material. So the, the line item component requirement changed as well as the routing time to, to do the milling or whatever it may be. That grows too. So, so the, and again, back to the engineering formulas. There's no question about them. There's going to be simple configurations where simple people can build them. Why? Because we already know which ones we can put together and they're embedding the rules. But where we get the engineers, the engineers are working in configurators to build in the paramac and the real complex logic. I just want to clarify those types of things. So well, I appreciate um, that, Chris. And I got to tell you something. 
I'm very simple, so thank you very much. But you know that the the, the visual modelers, that's great stuff too. But um, just a couple other comments, though. You go back to horror stories, and I think the validation, right? And and if you think about what happens, and we talk about two way integration, right? Is the ERP updating the costs? Because what happens in a configurator experience is we watch the price go up. So if we're doing quotes, man, there better be some validation that that these things are meaningful. So there is a loop in there to ensure the quality of the configurations and that, okay, if we're doing test scenarios, we're validating pricing. Because again, the one that gets away is, oh, it got away. What happened? We took the order, priced it wrong, built it wrong, shipped it wrong. Those are the horror stories. And again, I think as you look at just, and even people implement configurators incrementally, right? Even if you're using them internally, again, e-commerce, different experience. You want the catalogs ready and so forth. But as people are building the configurations and testing them, there's got to be some assurances there that we're making sure that we're the quality checks on. Just a couple other comments I wanted to throw out there. I mentioned integration and validation. It's a big deal. But just as you think about other configurators, I was thinking, what's the what's one of the world's popular? I used it the other night. Domino's Pizza's got a configurator. Okay, and the other thing, so we're thinking manufacturing. Well, they're manufacturing, they're food manufacturing, but yeah. we've seen configurators crawl all over the place, and now we just, we don't even know that's what it is, but that's what it is. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll throw out there is professional services. I have got clients that are configurators for professional services to sell managed services agreements. And again, same type of thing. It's the user experience. Hey, what do you need? But again, we're simplifying the selling process. Now, we may not be creating a manufacturing, but we're creating service work orders, a little different type of production order but service-driven versus material and service-driven. So I just wanted to open up the context there as people understand there's a lot of different places we're seeing configurators and understanding how they work and, and how they make life easier and more fun, right, to Chris and Andy's and everybody's customer experience comments. So, And I like idiot-proof. It's a big deal. If you do it right, it is. it should be idiot-proof. You should have nothing get through. And I think the last comment I'd make is somewhere in that configurator, there's a button that says, you need to call sales, right? I hit that option that, hey, 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 escalation, this is a big order. But that's also how they're idiot proof is there's an end of the road where I just can't go any further. And now we've got that escalation right into the sales team. And maybe that's the case where 5% I get an injury. Yeah. So some very interesting commentary there. I'm going to have just one follow up question there. So you mentioned professional services and I always like to sort of draw the boundary. Okay. Which businesses are going to be fit for configurator and which ones are not going to be professional services, ERP businesses, your business is a professional service. So I don't know, Chris, if you have implemented yeah, it. Yeah, it does. It fits. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because today, and, and we haven't we haven't moved them, but, you know, I work off of a, a very detailed Microsoft project file for an ERP project estimate. I took one the other day. I take a template. It's got finance, trade, logistics, production in there. It starts with 4,000 hours. And as you remove scope, the budget moves. Yeah. Again, could that be a front-end experience where, okay, what are we doing? Hey, I got GL, AR, AP, inventory, sales order, purchase order. That's a module-type configurator that could build a work breakdown structure. And I think that's essentially what you get out of the configurator. Instead of be manually scribing a 1,300-line work breakdown structure through configuration and selecting options to be implemented and adding, maybe there's some custom, maybe custom reports, but it can build a project plan and actually do a professional services quote. So again, we're driving efficiency on the front end at the same time. We're getting the level of detail instead of worrying about the sales rep trying to figure out, well, what needs to be included? Do I have enough project management? That's a formula, right? So, but, but that is applicable in the ERP implementation space as well as in this client is a hosting provider. So they're selling hosting services, using that to drive the configuration of the, the hosting environments as well as the managed service plans that they strap to those customers. And they are generating that out of a Salesforce experience. And I think Steelbrick, the configurator there, I don't know if that's the Salesforce configurator or just one of them, starts there, ends up in the back office. Thank you, Thank you so much, uh, Chris, for that. Uh, now, Christina, I'm actually coming to you. Any stories or horror stories? Yeah, I would say that all of the stories that I've been a part of that are horror stories 
are typically because it takes longer than everybody expected. When it comes to complex products, this is very challenging. I think everybody has already shared that. And Tom, you went into good detail about some of the things that you faced as you went along. But here, I'll just point out three areas that I see recurring over and over again. First, identifying what is your standard product you're going to sell through configuration. So many businesses want to be all things for all people, which the sales team has gotten away with the ability to say yes to customers in order to build out a quotation where they think they're going to win the business. So, um, or even a business thinks that the reason they're successful is because they do uh, give companies an opportunity to tell them what they want versus give them, giving them the selection. So standardizing the product is very challenging for some organizations. So my advice on that would be find your best selling products and start there because typically your best selling products have some level of commonality throughout that are gonna, that's going to help you standardize. The second thing where I see people struggle and where it goes off the rails is identifying the rules. So the options, as you've standardized the product and now A plus B doesn't equal C, to Tom's point earlier, it is when A plus B occurs, what are we offering them? And, and where is that information stored? Again, historically, uh, when people put together uh, proposals, and I say historically, this is happening today as well. They copy and paste proposal language and proposal pricing from a different proposal and they fit it into this section and then another into this section and another into this section. They might using, be using a spreadsheet that has many different offerings, but the rules are difficult. So software is available. I think we've all been talking about the software is available to make that but defining the rules, the challenging, that requires resource time who understands the product that's being manufactured. And typically that resource is constrained because they have another job to do. So, so pulling that person or persons into the project that need to be a part of this can be very challenging. And it takes a long time because, you know, John Smith has to keep uh telling us that, yes, this is a, a proper rule and validating what we're building together. And then finally, where people struggle is on pricing. Again, uh, you know, teams, not just sales teams, but organizations want to win deals. So they massage proposals to win under whatever conditions they might be under. So now you have standard... You've tried to standardize your, your products. You have built the rules. Now you have to have the pricing assigned to those options that are being selected. And for many organizations, standardizing on pricing so that others can pull these quotations together can be really challenging. Those are three areas I find over and over again where companies struggle. It's not the software that is necessarily the challenge. It's aligning internally that this is what we're going to sell. And, and uh, before you're even getting to the nice, easy inputs from a customer experience. So you've got to align on those things first. Love it. Amazing. And Chris, do you want to touch on this question uh, from Frederick? I'll read it for you so that our listeners know what this is. So he's asking, when do you see CPQs being best positioned in CRM, e-commerce, ERP, or as a standalone? Christina, over to you. Yeah, I would say... Um, ERP is typically ERP or CRM is typically when internal users are using it. E-commerce 
is when you are you are advanced enough to to have your customers use your tools. So you you've made it really simplified. I I'll give you an example. Um, I just bought a mower, a large front mount mower. They asked me six simple questions. I actually went back and looked at it again because it was so simplified. They asked me, did I want gas or gasoline or diesel? They asked me, you know, was I mowing an acre or under more than an acre? Was I using it for a business like a team of one to three or a team of three, uh, four plus? They had all of these questions. After I answered the questions, they recommended the model that I have. I'm sure it took that company a long time to get there where me as a purchaser of that mower. So that's when it's in the e-commerce. Um, but CR, CRM, ERP, I find is when back office people are using the tool, uh, sales or engineers to create the quote. And great job answering a political question, uh, to be honest. And Frederick, kudos to you uh, to ask the most political question you can ever ask about, uh, you know, the overall scope of product configurator. So thank you so much for that. So Tom, I'm actually coming to you. The stories, horror stories. Tom. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of horror stories. Um, I, I haven't done configurators in a lot of different situations. I really did it at, at one company and we, we worked at it for a long time, as everyone's saying it. It takes it takes time to get it to a point where it's as effective as you'd like it to be, even maybe potentially customer facing. Um, but uh, a couple of thoughts are running through my mind as I listen to the rest of the team here uh, speak in the last few minutes. One one was um, parts versus features, um, and Jay used the word chasm, and I and I concur with that. The engineers and the manufacturing parts of an organization are typically thinking of parts. The bomb consists of parts. The sales guys, and especially the customers, are thinking more about features. And, and features have to do with much more the solving of a problem. Uh, in the case of the equipment we were dealing with, uh, radiation therapy equipment, um, customers didn't want to talk about the components or parts of a laser. They were interested in beam intensity, uh, but not what went into the making of a laser. So this translation from parts to features is, I think, one of the keys to enabling uh, the configurator to be effective as a bridge, in a way, between uh, a, a simpler interaction at a feature level and ultimately the, the, the richness and complexity of all the parts behind the scenes and inside the machine um, or the service or whatever it may be that we're, we're dealing with. So I think that's one thing I wanted to maybe mention, this, this language or this translation and the chasm that Jay mentioned. And, and secondly, um, we didn't talk at all, interestingly, about uh, mobile experience. Um, and I think uh, similar to just good user experience, good customer and user experience um, and, um, and uh, the even idea of visualization, 2D, 3D graphics, uh, maybe in, even interactive, not just static. Um, all of those things are, are incredibly valuable, um, but uh, they, they may be uh, fairly heavy. Again, this is one of the things that we were discovering as we were wrestling with configurators uh, some years ago, was that uh, we could not have these fairly complex solutions uh, some of the uh, the, the, the very uh, interactive um, and, and visual 3D bomb explosion experiences with our customers 
on a simple handheld device. And again, maybe before 4G and 5G, but uh, we couldn't have that be an effective experience or a, a good user end user experience for our sales guys, let alone the end customer, because the, the latency was too much. Um, so again, the world keeps improving, networks keep improving, but that was certainly one of the things that was a little bit of a horror story when we tried to do some things along those lines some years back. And I don't know today if it's a lot, lot better. Most of the experiences I see are not somebody configuring a Gulfstream jet um, with a handheld device, right? That, that's probably not even appropriate, but it's much, much simpler uh, structures. Um, so that's, that's a second thought. And the third one, a little bit of a horror experience, um, again, although we got our arms around it quickly, was um, the idea of uh, market-specific solutions and, and regulatory clearance in the life science industry. So uh, we were producing products on a global basis, um, but they were being sold, of course, into specific local markets, each with their own regulatory bodies that were going through approvals of our products at different paces. And so we would have sales guys in France uh, saying, yeah, I want, you know, my customers heard about, you know, we were at, they were at the trade show. They heard about this latest variant product. They want it. I'm going to configure it. I'm going to make this sale. But the French regulatory authorities hadn't actually fully approved it yet. So, you know, we had challenges where people were going through the configurator and yes, the base model wasn't really a big change um, and that was already approved or it wasn't a deviation. So, you know, it, it was prior approval. Um, but, you know, now we introduced these other features and as you start to get into the, the later stages of the configurated product, those aren't approved and you can't sell them in France. So we had to have a, a, a really... Uh, complex uh, control in the configurator that was dealing with the customer and their geographic location and the regulatory approval status of these features in order for the sales guy to, in an idiot-proof way, create a quote that was acceptable, that was legally acceptable. Um, and so this was this was challenging for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, so th that was a bit of a headache, if not a nightmare. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Uh, Jay, I'm actually coming to you. Any stories, horror stories? Uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you a lot of real successful stories when it comes to the e-commerce side. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, one project that I knew of, uh, a few years back, this is uh, in the electrical space. And the idea was a manufacturer had a number of distributors they wanted to, uh, enable this configurator to basically configure their products and then drop the, the bill of material, the, the, the cart, the, the items into the cart, uh, the, the proper, um, you know, components and, and all that stuff. And, um, the project didn't go anywhere. I, I, I've not seen it since. I don't know where, where it's at. Uh, ironically, I was actually going to go back to one of the sites I remembered had a decent configurator today. And, uh, you know, for, in preparation for this, and I found that site doesn't even have the configurator anymore. So, uh, so I, I think this is just one of those areas that we're really struggling right now. And, and in previous question, I still don't even see CPQ being used as much, you know, for e-commerce as it, as it probably could be, because I think we're still trying, a lot of companies are trying to figure out how do we, you know, uh, the great, great point, uh, Tom, you know, how do we, 
how do we take the, uh, you know, start at the end and work backwards as opposed to what we do internally, which is start at the base and work up, right? So, so, uh, so from the customer's perspective, they want features, they want certain things that, um, that the product is going to do that, uh, you know, may require certain assemblies or certain pieces of, of, uh, you know, kits that, that go together, whatever. We haven't figured all that out yet, I think, and I think that's where it's become uh, difficult for a lot of folks. But in my opinion, we got to get there. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's time. And I think this is the way that, especially in B2B, this is the way we are. Okay. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Jay, for that. And I'm quickly going to touch on this comment from Paul. Uh, Paul uh, is uh, supporting the comment that a primary issue is ensuring that all the internal processes, they need to work together. I think that's what we all discussed. So he's agreeing with us. And then um, he is providing an example. We had a client that tried to use a standard configurator for a highly engineered product billion plus possible configurations. We redesigned the processes and captured the engineering calculations and then custom configurator, customer enter data on the website calculations were automated and the configurator also produced all the production instructions. And he's claiming that they had roughly what 85% reduction in cycle time. Amazing example and story there. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining and sharing the story. And Andy, uh, do you have any story comments that you would like to share? Sure. Um, you know, we've talked about all different types of configurators and, and a little bit of the history and what they can do today. The first thing I was going to mention for the audience, you know, the most simplistic and basic configurator all of us use very, very often, at least anybody that's overweight, going through a drive through Because when that person asks you if, the, if you want cheese on your hamburger or fries with that or large versus small drink or whatever else, that's all a configurator in the background. Now, as far as uh, horror stories, I think horror stories are always around not realizing what the effort is to implement one of these things. And, of course, there's all different levels of sophistication, but you, you purchase a more sophisticated one and you don't put the resources in to learn it, you're going to have a failure. Simple as that. But I can tell you a story about a success, which is might be a little more positive. Uh, Mr. Chris was mentioning about window manufacturers and, and I've worked with many window. I've worked a lot in the fenestration industry. Um, there's a customer that uh, uses the configurator on a smartphone or a tablet remotely. They manufacture windows, of course. And what the what the salespeople do is they go they go right on site, the construction site, with a tablet or a phone, and they will uh, using 3D modeling create the model right there for them. Create the cost, labor, material. Delivery dates, uh, even the even the fancy proposal, as Chris was saying, all with a remote uh, with a remote uh, printer. But all of that can be done while they're on site, and it's being updated back at the main system all simultaneously. Now, some systems can even go even farther than that, depending upon the technology, where they can be offline. So, if a person is in the mountains, there's no internet. They can still take the configuration while they're there, but as soon as they get back to the city. It downloads the new bomb into the new order into the system. All right. Amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Andy. And we are probably going to skip on our closing advice because we are over time right now. Uh, so thank you so much, everybody, for joining. That's a wrap. And if you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back again. On that note, thanks, thank you everyone, Sam. Thanks for everybody. Take care. Thank you, Sam. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings 
from our guest and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about ND Radical, head over to essoft.com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T.com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to janalpha.com. It's D-E-N-A-L-P-H-A.com. If you want to learn more about Jay Schneider, head over to b2b-squared.com. It's b2b-squared.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Kurt Anderson from B2B Channel, who touches on why growth extends beyond sales and marketing. Also, the interview with Jeffrey Graham uh, from e-commerce management, who shares his insights into the classic debate of cart first and content first for e-commerce companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.